Hey, this is Evan Black, pastor of Faith for Life Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. If you don't yet know Jesus, I'm so glad that you're listening, and I pray that this message empowers you to give your life to Christ. If you're just starting out on your journey with Jesus, I hope this empowers you to connect with Him. If you're strong in your connection to Christ, I believe this message will empower you to follow Him. So enjoy today's message. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. A very familiar chapter. Many people call it the love chapter. And before we read uh, the verse I want to I start with in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, many of you all know my story, but not all of you know my story. I actually uh, played basketball growing up and had this crazy goal to play Division I college basketball. And again, if you're new here, you, you got to know a little bit about sports to, to understand all of this. Uh, and that was my goal. I, I didn't grow as tall as I hoped I would grow. Um, I never got as strong as I wanted to get. I never was as quick as I wanted to be. I could never jump as good as I, I wanted to jump. Um, so I had this crazy goal of playing Division One college basketball, and uh, through a, a long series of events, I actually was able to accomplish that goal. And I'll, I'll never forget, I played uh, my last college basketball game. It was in our conference tournament, and we had gotten beat uh, by the team that ended up winning the tournament and going to the NCAA tournament. And I'm sitting in the hotel room, and my whole life has been basketball, and I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life after this. I had not thought past this moment. I knew I wasn't good enough to play in the NBA. Some of my friends went overseas to play basketball, but I was like, uh, no, I'm not good enough. I don't think I like it that much anymore. I, I'm not interested in going somewhere where I don't know what they're saying, and I don't know what I'm eating. And uh, I, no, and, and so I had no idea what I was going to do, and my head coach comes to me a, a couple days later, and he says, hey, Evan, um, what are you going to do now that you're finished? And I was like, coach, I have no idea. And he was like, well, what about coming back next year? I'll pay for you to go to graduate school, and you can be a graduate assistant coach with us. And I was like, it sounds better than a nine-to-five, so yeah, I will take that. Uh, <laughs> that sounds great. Now I got a plan. And, um, and so I actually did that, and it was absolutely amazing, and I loved, I loved, I loved, I loved coaching. It was, it was so much better because you didn't have to be athletic. You didn't have to be tall. You didn't have to be strong. And you could make an impact. And man, I, I really loved it. And so I did that for two years. And then I had this decision to make of whether or not I was going to continue to pursue that um, or which direction my life was going to take. I had young family members at home in Georgia that after four years, they were starting to grow up and I didn't really know. So I was like, I'm moving back to Georgia. I moved back to Georgia. Um, after a series of things, I get a job at a bank and I'm working at this bank and I like, I like, it was cool. I like people. I like numbers. It was a good combination. And there was one day that I was in the bank and, um, I, I had gotten tired of working in the bank. And so I'd wanted to get back into coaching. And so my church and the faith groups that I were in, I'd shared that with them and we had prayed. And there was many guys in my faith group that started calling me coach, but I was working at the bank. And they'd call me coach. And at first it was embarrassing, and then I got kind of used to it. And I was like, yeah. And so, so this had been happening for a couple months. And, um, and I'm sitting at the bank one day, and it was slow, and there was nobody in the bank. And, and I just felt impressed to call this guy that I had known growing up. He had run basketball camps. He had coached all over. Um, and he was coaching at a school just north of Atlanta called Kennesaw State, which had been Division Two and was about to go to Division One. And so I just felt led to call him, and I, I go into my office, and I pick up the phone, I call him, I said, 
hey, coach, this is Evan. He goes, hey, he goes, hey, Evan, how's it going? Are you calling about the coaching job? And I was like, uh, yeah, actually, I am. I had no idea I was. I didn't know. I just felt like I was supposed to call the guy. I, didn't, I had no idea. He goes, hey, meet me at this restaurant at 6 o'clock tonight. He's like, I got to run. I was like, okay. And within like 20 seconds, my whole life changed. Right? So I'm like, oh, man, I'm now going to a job interview to be a college basketball coach at 6 o'clock. It's probably 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So I don't even know what happened at the bank that day. I was no good after that, right? I go home, I, I change, um, and, and, I, and I go to the restaurant, and I get in there, and we sit down, and he's like, uh, yeah, so tell me what you know. And I was like, coach, I didn't even know you had a position open. I just felt like God told me to call you. And he's like, well, here's what happened. All three of my assistant coaches just took head coaching jobs. So they all just left. So I have zero coaches. We're going to Division I next year. I really need somebody who has Division I playing and coaching experience. I said, really? I said, coach, I'm your guy. I, I mean, I am your guy. And we'd known each other. We'd known each other since I was seven years old. And so he goes, all right, um, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to offer you my top assistant position. You'll make X amount of money. You'll make more than the other assistants, but I need you to help me hire these other two assistants. And within four hours, I went from working at a bank to being the top assistant coach at a Division I college basketball program because God told me to call this guy. Like, it just happened like that. And so, so we get into it, and, and, the, and it's, a, it's a long story. We hire two other guys, um, which, which is, there's so many stories in this. We had to put together a team at the last minute, which there's a lot of story in that. And then we start playing, and we're actually not doing uh, uh, that bad considering, like, we weren't very good, but we weren't, like, as horrible as we should be. And so um, we play a game, and then we play a game against a team that we really should beat, and then we go play in this tournament. And we go play in this tournament, and the first game in the tournament, we're playing Marshall. And Marshall was way better than us, like way better than us, okay, like way better. And, um, and about somewhere in the second half, the head coach gets two technicals, and he's kicked out of the game. And so when he's kicked out of the game, that means the top assistant now is the head coach. And so now, all of a sudden, for the second half of this game, I'm the head coach. And we're playing Marshall. And they're good. And we are not. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, it's one of those moments where you just stand up and you just act like you know what you're doing and you got to be confident. Because if you look scared or you act like you don't know what you're doing, not only are you using, losing that game, but you're losing the team. You, like, you, you, it's bad. It's bad. So I stand up, and I just act like I know what we're doing, and we barely get beat. Well, the problem is, <laughs> the problem is, if you get kicked out of a game in our league, you are automatically suspended for the next game. So now the second game, I am coaching the entire game. Now, now think about this. Like, Two months ago, like 10 weeks ago, I was working in a bank. And now, here I am 10 weeks later, because God told me to call this guy, I am standing up coaching a Division I college basketball game. It was just one of the most amazing things 
ever. I'm like, it still blows my mind. And it, what was amazing to me was the difference between sitting on the, the seat in the second chair and having to stand up and be the head guy. It was, it was a major difference. Like, like when you're sitting as the second seat, you think you got it. You think you know. You think, you know, he should do this. He should do that. All of a sudden, when you're standing up and they're running back and forth and that game is going fast and they want you to call another play and another defense and who's guard, like, it moves fast. It's completely different. And I realized that maybe I wasn't as ready as I thought I was like, like, I thought I was ready for this moment. Like, I, I wanted to be a head coach. And then I realized, like, I needed to actually learn how to be ready for this moment that I thought I wanted. Y'all want to know what happened in the game? Did I coach the whole game? Oh, that's cool. I already know what happened. I don't need to tell y'all. <laughs> in 1 Corinthians 13... Okay, I got to tell you, though. I got to tell you. I can't. I can't I, for me, I can't leave it out there. Um, we were, I don't remember who. We were, we were playing somebody really good. And, and we, were, we were actually winning. We, we weren't. We were. We were. Our, our center, which should be our tallest guy, he was six foot six, which is not that tall. But he was, I'm not exaggerating, he was 135 pounds. We recruited him to play guard. We didn't even want him to play that year. We wanted him to play the next year after we filled him with McDonald's <laughs> for a year. <laughs> Here he is playing center. So we were up. We were up one with, uh, no, man, I should have I looked this up. We were, no. I'll tell you at the end maybe. First Corinthians, we didn't, we didn't win. <laughs> but it wasn't for a lack of coaching. Some kind of way, <laughs> some kind of way, we were down three. Actually, before that, we were up and we couldn't get a rebound because they were so much bigger than us on a free throw and then they made it. And we were down three and we had the ball and I called timeout and I drew up a play and I got our best shooter, a wide open three at the top of the key, which is the easiest shot And he missed it. I'm, I've almost forgiven him. First Corinthians 13, verse 13, Paul's um, concluding this, these love verses. And he says, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love abide. They are alive. They are, they are things that we're going to look at over the next couple weeks of things that we need to uh, be ready to do and ready to be in every moment. So today we're going to look at faith. We need to have faith in every moment. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 tells us, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Paul tells us that we walk or we live by faith and not by sight. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And so we get faith whenever we hear the word, whenever we hear from God. And that is how we should, should increase our faith. And, and, um, and it, so it shouldn't just be one time. It should be continually. And faith is the assurance, meaning that we know that now we have the things that we have already hoped for. 
that we should live by this faith. And if we should live by this faith and this faith continues to abide, then we need to have faith in every moment. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says that without faith it is impossible to please God. So if you have a moment where you are not in faith, that is a moment where it is not possible to please God. Doesn't matter what good you're doing, you could be feeding the hungry, you could be clothing the naked, you you could be visiting those in prison. If you are not in faith in that moment, it is impossible for you to please God regardless of your actions. Go over to 1 Peter chapter 1, which is to the right, to the right, I'm I'm already out of time. This is my first verse. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here here, um, we are told that it is according to God's great mercy that he has caused us to be born again, that he has made us new. He has given life to those who believe and new life to those who believe, those who have faith. He has promised us victory here on this earth and victory over this earth. We have abundant life while we're here promised to us and we have eternal life after here that we're promised after this moment. In verse 4, it says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So we have this inheritance that we will um, get when we get to heaven that is kept and guarded in heaven and it is spiritual and it cannot be touched, it cannot be damaged, it cannot be diminished, it is solidified. In verse 5, it says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, in this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So because of our faith, because of what we believe, no matter what comes our way, we will win in the end. So we are told to rejoice, which means to jump for joy, which means exceeding gladness or exceeding joy, that we are told to choose that regardless of what we face in the moments, that in every moment we should choose to rejoice. We should choose to have joy. We won't always feel the, 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 the feelings of happiness, but we can always choose to have joy. That especially in the difficult times, In the trials, even the trials here that grieve us, we are to choose joy because our faith will become more genuine and authentic through the testing of our faith. Now, here's what I see over and over and over again, and and it bothers me, it grieves me, it makes me sad, is that so many Christians have allowed our experiences to dictate our faith. We'll allow what we experience, what we've seen, what's happened to us, what hasn't happened to us, to determine what we believe. Specifically, what we believe about God. That, that there's so many Christians that will allow what their life has produced and how they've interpreted their life to dictate their theology and what they believe about God. 
So they might know God says this, but they haven't experienced this. They've actually experienced this over here. And so they either ignore what God says or they try to fit what God says into their experience. Because their hallelujah, their highest praise is really in their experience. What, 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 they, what they really trust in is what they can see and what they can hear and what they can feel and what they can touch, what they know, what's happened. And so this is real. I saw this. This happened. But this is what God says, and I don't know how to, I don't know how to reconcile that. But I know this. I'm just kind of hoping in this. I know what's happened, and I'm hoping that what God says is true, but God says that he's a healer, but that person died. God says he's a provider, but I'm still broke. See, our experiences are fluid. They change. What worked for you yesterday doesn't always work for you today. What didn't work for you yesterday might be the very thing that works for you today. There are many factors as to why sometimes our experiences don't line up with what God says. But especially in those moments, we have to determine what are we going to believe. In those moments where we're experiencing something apart from what God says, we have to choose what we are going to believe. We have to choose to have faith in every moment. Either faith in our experiences or faith in what God says. And that's our choice. You can't, you can't control everything that's going to happen to you or everything that's not going to happen for you. But you can control what you believe about those things that happen to you and those things that happen for you. One of the biggest examples of this is in healing. I, I've, because I've just, I've, because of my ministerial experience, I've just been around a lot of people who have been praying for healing and other people who have prayed for someone else's healing. And, and there's, so, there's levels to this, right? Like, have, have you ever known anybody that you've prayed for and you prayed for them to be healed and you believed God and you confessed the word and they died? And I, I've seen it a whole bunch of times. Almost too many times to count. And in that scenario, you read scriptures like, by his stripes, I am healed. But you have this experience of, I prayed, I believed, I confessed, and they were not healed. They died. And, and, and so there's layers to this. One of the layers is free will. I, I'm going to tell you this. From, from Bible and from experience, that when someone gets in a situation where they're sick or they're really injured or they're getting older and they want to go be with Jesus, it don't matter what you pray. <laughs> it doesn't matter. They are going home to be with Jesus. I can't tell you how many times I've had um, elderly people in hospital rooms and the family's all there and they're all there and they're talking and they're there and they're praying and they're believing that, that this 96-year-old woman is going to get up and live another however long back to her nursing home where they're not even really visiting her. And, and she's a believer and lived her whole life for Jesus and they're praying and they're praying and they're praying and they're praying and she's staying alive. And then... They all go to lunch. 
And she says, see ya. I'm gone. So you say, well, pastor, I, I, I've prayed and I've believed and I've confessed. And I know they wanted to live. They weren't a 96-year-old going back to a nursing home. They were a whatever, whatever, whatever. And I know they wanted to live. They told me they wanted to live. They prayed with me that they wanted to live. Listen, listen, listen. Think about this, especially if you're a parent. If you're a parent and you're in your last days and your kids are there praying for you to live, what are you going to tell your kids? You're ready to go home. Now, some of y'all, I, I've been around y'all in your parenting styles, I know. You would say, boy, I'm going home. I ain't staying here. <laughs> the rest of us, we probably wouldn't say much. We don't want to break our kids' hearts by telling them, I don't want to be here no more. I'm about to die. There's a lot of people that do that. You don't know what's in somebody's heart. Just because they're telling you they want to live. You don't know the pain that they've been going through. You don't know what they've experienced spiritually. You don't, you don't know that they may be excited to get to heaven. Maybe that's not it. There is still an enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the thing about it with believers is even if Satan is successful in that, <laughs> the believer still goes to heaven. There is, still, there is still no victory in death for Satan. That God has already won the victory even over death. That there is nothing that Satan could gain in that. Sometimes it's not even that our experiences have um, dictated that because we didn't, we didn't experience it the way that we want, but we just didn't see it the way that we wanted to see it. We didn't see it as their healing was what they wanted, which is they got to heaven, which is the whole goal. It's the goal of this is for us to get to heaven to bring as many people with us as we can. Like, that is the goal. The Bible says the day of death is better than the day of birth. And either we believe it or we don't. Either we have faith in the moments where our experiences disconnect from God's word, or we have faith in our experiences because they disconnect from God's word. But sometimes it's not just that it, our experiences don't connect, but sometimes it's just that we don't see it the right way. The disciples, they saw Jesus' capture and torture and crucifixion as this horrific event when it happened. But now, when you fast forward and you look at Jesus' capture and his torture and his crucifixion, it's not a horrific event. It's a gruesome event. But it is an event to be celebrated. It is an event that gives us the ability to have eternal life and abundant life. Sometimes you just see the moment the wrong way. And the moment is disconnected from what God says about the moment. And because you're seeing it incorrectly, you have a choice to make. Are you going to allow your experience to shape what you believe, dictate what you believe, or are you going to allow the Bible and God's word and what God speaks to you dictate and shape what you believe? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. When Jesus returns to the disciples after he'd already died and risen again, they saw this in a completely different way. They saw that they should not have allowed uh, their experience to change their faith. 
that they saw the same event that they had just seen days before as horrific and negative and devastating as the most amazing event of their entire lives, so much so that they were willing to die for Jesus after that. They were willing to die because of that event, because he was able to say that I am going to die and three days later I am going to get back up and then he actually pulled it off. This event that devastated them now inspired them. We have to be intentional about not being foolish enough to believe that we can see and know so clearly that our interpretation of an experience has the power to change what we believe. Like how arrogant is it to say, this is how I see it, and it's opposed to God's word, and so I must be right. This is how it happened, and this is God's word, and these have a disconnect between them, so I'm going to side with what happened. You know, one of the differences with me and my wife that I've learned over the years, there's a couple, is... Let's say we go buy something and we bring it home. And immediately, like first try, it doesn't work. Her first thought is the thing is broken. And she wants to take it back. My first thought is this is user error. <laughs> we just haven't figured out how to work this. Like what are the odds that every time you buy something and it doesn't work perfectly the first time that it's broken? Most of the time, you tried to pull when you should have pushed. You were trying to open the wrong thing. It doesn't have any batteries. You put the batteries in wrong. Like, most of the time, this is user error. But she is convinced, nope, nope, doesn't work. Got to take it back. It's broken. We're just seeing it differently. We're seeing it differently. When you see it differently than God, it may just be that you're pushing when you should be pulling. You ain't put the batteries in yet. <laughs> it, it, is, it is definitely user error and not manufacturer's error when it comes to the things of God. You have a choice in those moments of where you're going to place your faith. If you don't get enough money, is God still your provider? If you don't feel better, is God still your healer? If you don't understand why everything happens, is, is God still good? Because your life is going to be filled with these ups and these seemingly downs, these victories and these perceived losses. Those are going to happen whether you follow Jesus or not. The issue is going to be, are you going to stick with him? What are you going to believe in those moments? Not even of bad, but of both good and bad. How are you going to choose to see them, and then what are you going to do about them? In verse 8, it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The outcome of your faith is the salvation of your souls, the consistency of your faith. The consistency of every moment I am going to believe what God says. 
Every moment I am going to redirect my mind and my heart and my spirit back to what God says. Every moment, no matter what I experience, I am going to hold on to the anchor that is God's word more than the waves of my experiences and my thoughts and my perceptions. That's the choice that we have to make. And here we are told that the outcome of that consistent faith in those moments is the salvation of our souls. What you believe is way, way more important than what you've faced. What you believe is way more important than what you've seen. What you believe is way more important than what you've experienced. You can't control all those experiences. You can't control what happens. You can't control what doesn't happen. But you can always control how you see that, what you believe about that, where your faith is in that. Be intentional. This isn't going to happen by, by happenstance. This isn't just going to automatically happen. We have to be intentional that in every moment we're going to live by faith. We're going to walk by faith. We're going to please God. And the only way to please God is by faith and through faith. That every moment, every situation, every circumstance, we are going to believe what God says, even or even especially when everything around you is telling you something different. There will be people that will say this is foolish and say that you are foolish. Paul addresses this. <laughs> he says, yeah, we are foolish in the world's eyes because they can't even understand our faith. That actually when the world starts calling you foolish, you're your faith is probably getting to the point it needs to get to. If nobody's ever called you foolish, if you've never thought you're a little bit foolish, if you've never done something because God told you to that seems absolutely foolish, then I would encourage you to, to increase your faith. Because I know when I'm following God and my faith is building up and I'm, and I'm living in that faith that he's consistently asking me to do stuff that's foolish. I did something on a Wednesday night a couple weeks ago that was foolish. I'm just glad I have a praying, loving Jesus wife. And it wasn't foolish in a bad way. It was like God told me to do something, and I just did it, and I didn't even ask her or tell her. It's not great marital advice. you you got to be able to come home and say, God told me to do that. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> but it was clear, God told me to do that, and within four or five days, the thing that I had given had been given back multiplied. But it was foolish at the moment. You're going to have these moments where the world tells you this is what you need to do. And what God says is going to sound foolish. We got to have the courage to be foolish. To be foolish in the eyes of the world obedient in the eyes of the Lord. Well, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there's a couple things I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can also invest in helping us empower others to follow Jesus by texting any dollar amount to 512-520-0185. Thanks again for joining us today on the Faith for Life podcast.